Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. All praises to the Most High, Yahuwah, and His Son, Yahusha. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we want our listeners to know we are broadcasting our podcast live on our website, psychove.com, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would love for you to join us live every Saturday, again, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any questions or comments while the podcast is live or even after the podcast, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We hope you continue to study your scriptures and study your Bible because there's so much in there that we need to learn. So, Pastor, what are we going to be dealing with today? Okay, what we're going to be dealing with is that uh, we, we've been talking about the beast, and we've look, looked at the beast, who the beast is. And uh, in this study, we're going to kind of recapture some things, but from a different angle, because we want to get specifically uh, what what is happening. So we can really entitle this discourse, uh, who is the beast? And we're going to, uh, find out just who he is as we've discussed in our opening, uh, uh, topics that what we'll be dealing, dealing with is the mark of the beast. And we want to deal with the beast and then the mark and then the system, the mark of the beast system. So again, we're going to re-emphasize here, who is the beast, and then no doubt next week we'll be getting more into the mark, but we have to lead up to that so we'll see exactly what we're doing. Okay, let us pray. Eternal Father, as we again open your word, open our hearts that we may be able to receive the content in which you would like to place there, and we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would take our minds, transform them, and once you transform my mind, transform our behavior, transform our speech, transform our nature in such a way that we may be able to walk in harmony with your wishes. Bless my hosts, bless me, bless each listener out there, oh Heavenly Father, that they also may be able to receive that which we give. And when this program is over, oh Heavenly Father, may we have been the better for it. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, so thus far we have examined uh, three beasts. We have looked at uh, Babylon, Medio Persia, and Greece, and we look somewhat at Rome. Okay, so what we want to do is take our Bibles and turn again into the Book of Revelation, and in Revelation we want to consider uh, chapter twelve. And I want to read a few verses, and then I want to go uh, to Revelation 13, because that's something important we want to uh, point out. Now, we have our Bibles. We want to turn to Revelation chapter 12, and I want to start off by reading verses uh, 3 and 4. So Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 3, it says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven horn crowns upon his heads. And verse 4 said, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood 
before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Okay, now in the same chapter, we want to read verse number 9, Revelation 12, 9. And it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels was cast out with him. So what we are noticing that uh, the dragon is also a beast, and he was cast out of heaven. And he was trying to devour the woman or the church or the woman that had the child, which was Yeshua and Mary, as they had come. He wanted to devour the child. And the Bible points out who they, who it was. He calls him the great dragon, which was the serpent, the devil, and Satan. So we see that all of the commotion and the devastation that is going on, uh, Satan is behind it. All right. Now we want to turn to... Uh, Revelation 13, and we want to read a few verses there. And we want to start with Revelation 13, and we want to look at uh, verses 1 and 2. And here it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a great beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leper, and his feet were as it were the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Okay. Now notice what it also says in verse 11. He said, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and had and he spake as a dragon. Okay, so what we notice about the beast which came up out of the sea and the earth is that the former influenced the latter. In other words, the first beast was going to influence the, 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 the other beast. The beast that came up out of the sea was going to influence the beast that came up out of the earth. And we are told that both of them, now this is what I want you to get, we are told that both of them are under the influence of the dragon beast, which came up came out of the sky. So we want to plant that clearly in our minds, that we have two beasts. One came out of the sea. Now, we don't call it the sea beast. It was not a sea beast. It came up out of the sea, okay, which means it came up out of a populated area uh, of people, which was Europe. And then the other beast came up out of the earth, which was sparsely populated, around a time in which America was being developed. And so as a result, uh, the beast was speaking through the European nation. And then when we get, got the lamb-like beast, then the beast was going to speak again uh, through America, okay? So when we look at this dragon beast, it was the influence behind these particular beasts. Now, when we read in Revelation 2, uh, in Revelation 2, uh, we read, it says uh, here in Revelation uh, chapter 13, 2 says, he says, and and his mouth was as the mouth of a lion, okay? That's what it says in Revelation 13, 2. It says the dragon gave, uh, and as we continue to read, it says, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat 
and great authority. So what we're looking at is, is that when the dragon came up out of the sea, it was still under the influence. I mean, not the dragon, but when this, when the, uh, uh, the beast came up out of the sea, it was still under the influence of the dragon beast, which came out of the sky. So Revelation uh, 13.2 says that the dragon gave the beast, which came up out of the sea, his power, his seat, and great authority. So once having received from the dragon his notoriety, he then goes on to pass on to the beast coming up out of the earth what has been given to him. So the beasts from Europe, and now as people established himself over in America where they got freedom, this beast again is going to be uh, speaking by the mouth of the dragon uh, to people who have relocated to begin a new type of uh, belief uh, in life rather than being under the dictates of the Roman church. And this beast which came up out of the earth, we are told in Revelation uh, 13, 12. Let us, let us look at 13, 12. It says in Revelation 13, 12, it says, Now this beast that came up out of the earth, he exercised all of the power of the first beast before him. So the first beast had that power. Now the second beast coming up out of the earth, he says he's going to exercise the same power that the first beast has. So we have to draw the conclusion if he's going to exercise all of the power that the first beast is, then the same person that was behind the first beast is also behind the second beast coming up out of the earth to be able to exercise as much power because we have already read, he said, and the dragon gave him his power, and we know the dragon to be Satan, and he's the one that gave him power. He then goes on to pass on, that is, the second beast goes on to pass on to the beast coming up out of the earth what has been given to him. And this beast, which came up out of the earth, uh, was also under the influence of the satanic powers. Okay, now, when we look at uh, verse 12, it says, uh, and he exercises all of the power of the first beast before him, and he causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the beast, the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed, okay? So many interpreters of the Bible says that when Berthea, the general, had overcome the Pope because there was a struggle between whether the king ruled supreme or was it the priest who reigned supreme in the government? Was the king over the church or was the church over the king? And so they took Berthea, Berthea took the Pope captive, and they call that the deadly wound. But they said the deadly wound was healed, and as a result of the deadly wound being healed, we are told that the church came back into power again. So it says here, whose deadly wound was healed in verse 12 of the 13th chapter, and the first piece whose deadly wound was healed and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So in other words, even with the second beast, they're trying to get the second beast to set up things whereby they can worship the first beast, because the first beast was also worshiping Satan. All right, let us go. Let us continue on down. 
he says he exercises all of the power of the first beast before him, and he causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Moreover, we are told that the beast coming up out of the earth should make an image of the beast which came up out of the sea. Now, the one that came out of the sea, say, we're going to make an image to him, okay? Now, let us read Revelation 13 and verse 14. It says, And he deceived them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the the which had the wound by the sword and did live. Okay. So in other words, what we're looking at when the Pope was taken captive and then he was restored, then miracles was being performed. And they were saying that the people that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. And moreover, we are told that the beast coming up out of the earth, uh, that they would command it uh, in so many words to follow the first beast. And when we follow the first beast, we'll follow in the same deceptive system and pattern of worship that the first beast did, but they are making an image. So now when we read in Revelation 13, 15, here's what it says. It said, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. Okay. Now we notice that he gave power to the first beast. Now the image of the beast, which is the second beast that it came up out of the earth, he's saying, and he, now who is that he? Okay. He, he says that he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. It says he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. That image, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Let us answer the question as to who is the he referring to? Who is giving this beast the authority to do what he does. According to the verse 12 of Revelation 12 and uh, verse 13, it appears obviously that he is talking about the beast with the seven heads, 10 horns and the 10 crowns, which came upon or out of the sea. This image of the beast is being set up to do what was done by the beast giving him authority. So when he says that he gave him authority, it is talking simply about the dragon. So what we, what we know about the first beast is that it gave the second beast its ability to, fun to function. And behind both the beast is the dragon beast, which is ultimately the one that is spearheading the entire operation. This dragon beast is found in Revelation 12, 4. So when we read Revelation 12, 4 that we read in the beginning, it said, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did 
and he did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So what we see here is that this dragon beast is working through the nations. And when the Messiah was about to be born, he was trying to attack and to kill that particular child. So we see that it is Satan that is spearheading this whole operation. He was cast into the earth and he tried to devour the woman. He is trying to deal with the church. He is trying to deal with the Messiah. So one of the things we notice about the dragon beast, which is Satan, is it is a persecuting power. He possesses this power. He passes this power on to the beast coming out of the sea, being the European nation. And if we studied the Inquisition and what the church did to those who did not go along with the dogmas in which it, 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 it stated, they were put to death. This is why many fled from Europe over to the America in order to get the freedom that they needed in order to worship out of the di dictates of their own conscience. So he passes his power on to the beast coming up out of the sea, being the European nation, and the European nation passes it on to the beast coming up out of the earth, which was America. As we have seen in the ancient empires, that when kings, emperors, or rulers put into law their demands, and if their laws were disobeyed, it was at the penalty of death. We saw this when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the three Hebrews, when they fell to live up to the decrees and the laws that Nebuchadnezzar had put out, the death decree was the fiery furnace. And when Daniel continued to pray, making supplications to his Elohim, and we noticed that when he did that, that it was in the light of the decree that stated no man was to make a petition to any other Elohim other than the king. And if they did, the death penalty was to be cast into the den of lions. Consequently, the governments we are under will become persecuting powers. Just as Yeshua experienced the death decree of the Roman governor under Pontius Pilate. So what we are observing about the image of the beast is that it will become a persecuting power. So now when we read in Revelation 13, 15, it says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So now when we see in Revelation 13, 15, the decree that if we don't worship the way they want us to worship, that we will be killed. It is not a surprise because as we go back through the backlog of rulers and emperors and, 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 and kings, they put to death people who did not worship the way they dictated. So it, it, it's not a surprise to us. We are looking at it all down through history. When Yeshua 
did not go along with the Jewish nation and the Roman nation. It was under Pontius Pilate that he was put to death. So it's the government, it's the halls of justice that are making these edicts and decrees and laws that are not in harmony with the Torah or the wishes of Elohim that these people were being put to death under these governments. And so Revelation is saying that what has been going on in the past will also be in the end of time these things would be happening. So what we are observing about the image of the beast is that it will become a persecuting power. And once this death decree goes in, into effect, there will be three stipulations which will put be put into effect. And we find these effects in Revelation 13, 17. Let's look at it. Revelation 13, 7. And we're looking at three things that's going to happen. In Revelation 13, 17, it says, it said, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So let's look at those three things because they all have some bearing on the mark of the beast. First, the mark of, they talk about the mark of the beast. Second, the name of the beast. And third, the number of the beast's name. So the Bible says either you will have his name or the number of his name. So we're looking at three things. We're looking at the mark, the name, and the number. Okay? And when we consider the context in which the book of Revelation talks about the mark of the beast, there are some aspects of it that we want to put in perspective, okay? There's some things we want to put in perspective. Now, what I want you to look at, at in Revelation 13, in Revelation 13, 4, I'm just going to be pointing out certain things in, in, in Revelation. I'm not going to read the whole text, but I'm just going to point out certain things. So in Revelation 13, 4, notice what it says. It says, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion, okay? Now, it, we, we look at Revelation 13, 4, okay? It says, uh, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemes, okay? Okay, now we'll return to Revelation uh, 13, 12, okay? In 13, 12, it says that, uh, uh, and he exercised all of the power of the first beast, And causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. Okay. Now, when we turn to Revelation 13, 15, it says uh, that the image of the beast should both speak. Okay. Now, if you look at Revelation 13, verses 4, 8, 12, and 15, what are all of these verses talking about? It is talking about somebody speaking. Okay. So, what we are observing is that the mark of the beast is in some way associated with worship. In other words, the whole purpose of Satan, he's trying to get some worship. Okay. So another aspect of the mark of the beast is found in Revelation 13, 16. Okay. It said, and he calls it all, both small and great, 
rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, okay? So here in Revelation 13, 16, it is talking about if you get to mark, here it points out that it would be placed in two places, the right hand or in the forehead, okay? That's where the mark will be placed. So thus far, what we have is a persecuting government making death decrees or laws to force individuals to worship the image of the beast by receiving a mark in the right hand or the forehead. And this mark is associated with a name and a number. So at this juxtaposition, what we want to reason out is, was there ever a time in history when a mark was put upon a person, okay? Was there ever a time? Do we ever read in Bible, in the entire Bible, where someone had a mark upon them, okay? Well, let's go to one of the first incidents that brings out about a, a mark in the Bible to so, so see if we can figure out what this mark is going to be, okay? So I want you to turn with me in the book of... Uh, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, chapter 4 and verse 15, Genesis 4, 15. Okay, now, when we read the story about Cain, the Bible says in the 15th verse of the fourth chapter of Genesis, and, <clears throat> and Yah said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yah set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Okay. So this is the first time in the Bible that we find that a mark was put on anybody and it was put, put on him by Elohim. Now it appears that Elohim himself was the first to place a mark upon Cain. However, the question we are left with is, was the mark that El placed upon Cain, what was it? Do we know what the mark was? It said he put a mark on him that whosoever shall find him should not, would not slay him. So what was the mark that El placed upon Cain? <coughs> the Hebrew word for mark is Oat, O-T-H, okay? And if we would spell that in the Hebrew language, it would be Aleph, Vav, and Tau. But in the English language, it is O-T-H, which is Oat. And it carries the meaning of a sign, okay? And that's what an Oat means, a sign. Now, this word Oat, O-T-H, isn't used in any other passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. There's no other, this is the only place that is used. There are other words for Mark, but this word, oh, stands alone. It's the only one. When Moses wrote it, and he put oath for Mark that was on Cain, that was the only word in the only place that is used. The West have another word for the word Mark. Moreover, when we look up 
the word mark, as it relates to that of the beast, it comes from the Greek word charagma. Charagma. This is the Greek word for mark. Charagma. Now, charagma is spelled in the English C-H-A-R-A-G-M-A. Charagma. Okay. Now, charagma carries the meaning of <clears throat> impress, mark, or engraving. Okay. So when we talk about the charagma, which means mark in, in, in Greek, and this is the word that is found in Revelation, and it says it means to impress, a mark, or engraving. However, what I find quite interesting is that in the book of Revelation, it speaks about a seal. Now, the word for seal comes from the Greek word sprag-gizo, okay, kind of like a tongue twister, sprag-gizo, and it's spelled S. P H R A G I Z O Sprague Gizo. Okay, now S P H R A G I Z O Sprague Gizo, and it carries the meaning of a seal or impress. So when we look at Sprag Z, uh, the word for seal, Sprag Sprag Gizo, it means to impress. So a seal was something that was impressed. And when we look at the word Charagma, it means something that was impressed. Okay. So here we have the word seal and the word mark, respectively. While they differ in the Greek words to represent them, yet these two words who are different have the same meaning. They both have the same meaning. They mean, charagma uh, for mark means to impress, and spragizo for seal means to impress. So when we deal with a mark, it means to impress something. And when we deal with a seal, it means to impress something. Consequently, a seal and a mark are impressing themselves upon someone. Now, let us understand how the impressions are made. Okay, we won't get fully into it, but we want to start it off. Okay, how... How is these marks or these impressions made? If a seal is impressed upon you and a mark is impressed upon you, how are they impressed upon you? Okay. All right. Let us turn to uh, back to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, too. Here in Revelation chapter 13, too, notice what it says. I'm going to read the latter part. It says... And his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. In other words, it is this dragon that is speaking. Okay. So what we are looking at, 
a part of the seal that we must understand is going to be the dragon's voice. That's a large part of the mark of the beast is the dragon's voice. Okay. Now the mouth of the lion is the mouth of the ba- uh, of the king of Babylon. See, the lion represents Babylon, and if he's speaking with the voice of a lion, he's speaking with the voice of the king of Babylon. However, it is through the dragon who speaks through the lion beast of Babylon. It's the dragon speaking. It's Satan speaking through Nebuchadnezzar. So what we must also understand is that Babylon didn't just come into existence when Nebuchadnezzar took his seat on the throne. We are told from the scriptures that the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel. So let us turn to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. See, Babylon didn't start with Nebuchadnezzar. It started long before Nebuchadnezzar got on the throne. So when we look at Genesis chapter 10, we want to look at a few verses there. Okay. Genesis chapter 10. Okay, here in chapter 10, uh, we want to consider verses 9 and 10. Genesis chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, and he was a mighty hunter. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's go to verse 8. It said, and Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before Yah. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Yah, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And Babel is the same name that we derive the word Babylon. Babel and Babylon was one and the same. So he said he began his kingdom with Babel. Okay. It was the it was called Babel because uh, according to Genesis chapter eleven and verse nine, this is why it was called Babel. Verse nine of the eleventh chapter of Genesis, it says, Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because Yah did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did Yah scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. So when they had a confusion at the Tower of Babel as to what was going on when they were trying to build the tower, he confused their language. And when he confused their language, they called that Babel, which means confusion. So ever since Nimrod's rebellion to Yah's will, Babylon or Babel, the dragon beast has been speaking through heads of states, rulers of empires, kings over countries, and presidents over nations. Okay, now, when did Satan start speaking? Did he start first speaking to Nimrod? No. Let us turn to Genesis chapter 3. Find out when Satan's church starts speaking in Genesis chapter 3. And here in the third chapter of Genesis, we want to look at verse number 11, Genesis 3, 11. And here it says, and he said, who told thee thou was naked? 
Has thou eaten of the tree? Have thou eaten? Let me see. Yeah. Have thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat thereof? Okay. So in other words, they had eaten of that tree. Okay. Now, let us go back to the first verse. Let us go back to the first verse. In other words, they broke the covenant because uh, Elohim had already told Adam which trees to eat and which tree not to eat. So Adam fully knew the covenant. Okay. So let's find out what really happened. Okay. Now here the Bible says in Genesis chapter three and verse one, it said, now the serpent was more subtile than any beast of the field, which uh, Adonai Yah had made. In other words, he was one of the wisest beasts. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath Yah said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay. So the serpents first started speaking through the serpent, and the serpent was one of the most wisest, intelligent beasts upon the earth. So from Eden to now, Satan has been speaking through the leaders of his people. Okay. Now, when we consider the fact that it was by the spoken word that Elohim gave life or the life-giving covenant to Adam and Eve, and it was by the spoken word that the serpent gave his death covenant to the same couple, so there is some union between the spoken word and the mark. What we are constantly notice in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation is that the dragon, which is serpent, is speaking, and speaking has much to do with receiving the mark of the beast. So what we want to rivet in our minds is that the speaking going to have something to do with the mark of the beast. So next week, we'll start in on the system of the mark of the beast. But now we know that the mark of the beast has something to do with the beast speaking through the heads of leaders of nations. So we'll draw a conclusion there. So we looked at the beast. We know who the beast is. Now, second major emphasis will be to find out what is the mark, and we'll start that next week. So uh, I know one of the questions I have is that uh, I know we've said before that the Catholic Church has a major hand in it. Um, how do we know these different beasts, what evidence is there that these different beasts is pointing to uh, the Catholic Church, the Babylon, uh, you know, with the mouth representing Babylon, how do, you know, what is it that correlates and tie those, all those things together to represent well, those beasts? Well, main, mainly uh, it's a study of history. And when we can see in history uh, the alignment, it's like uh -huh. when, you, when you look at the, the four kingdoms in the book of Daniel, now some of the kingdoms are enumerated, Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the king dream that you had Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then when you look in the history, you find the same thing because one after another, those ru rulers actually came into existence. Mm 
Mm -hmm. Now, you remember, he said that these beasts, according to the book of Daniel, they were kings. Okay. So that had to be living people. And if they lived on earth, then the kings kept records. Mm -hmm. So when we get over to Europe and what we see Europe did in the persecution and what, what they did, when you look at the book of Daniel and Revelation, and they align themselves with some of the things and most of the things that we have discussed, that there was no other what we call a church that did the things that they did. And so when you go into history and you dig it out and you correlate it with the scriptures, mm -hmm. then we draw the conclusion that this is what they did. Now, the interesting thing to me about this is, is this, that even today, uh, when you look at the Pope, mm -hmm. the Pope is apologizing for many of the atrocities that they had done to people. They, they themselves has apologized for that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're going to change. It just means that they apologize. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they are saying, you know, we apologize to the point that since a lot of y'all left the church under Luther, because Luther, he didn't intend to leave the ch Catholic Church. He didn't even intend to start the Protestant Reformation. But when he was brought before the Diet of Worms and he had to give a defense for what he was doing and why he was doing it, they asked him to recant. And he said, how can I recant? Because the Roman church is doing things that are not found in the scripture. He said, if what I'm asking you to do cannot be based upon the scriptures, he said, I will recant. But let somebody show me in the scriptures, what I've said against the church is wrong. I will recant. He mm -hmm. said, but nobody can show me that. And they said, well, we just want a yes or no answer. He said, well, if the, you can't show me in scriptures that I'm wrong, I cannot recant. So they sought then to put him to death, but they hesitated. And as a result, Elohim protected him. So the question that you're asking, how do we know it was the church? It couldn't have been the Protestant churches because the Protestant churches most of them came out of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And then the churches that were not, not Catholic, like the, Wald, the Waldenses and the Albigenses, who was around the Alpine Mountains of France, they never was a part of the Catholic Church. And they didn't do all of that persecution. So we have to look at history along with the Bible, and then we can draw the conclusions of what was taking place and who did what. Also, are some of the conclusion, conclusions always right, or is sometimes there's some error? Well, uh, I would say like Luther, if you can point out the error, then you, you, you come up with the error that you think was an error, and then we have to look at it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just say offhand. I have to know specifically what is being spoke of. Just like a lot of people say that the uh, deadly wound of the Pope, they mm -hmm. say that was something else, but... Uh, if you tell me to something else, you, you point out to something else that it is because when Napoleon uh, took over uh, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the popery there, mm -hmm. and then after he did that, he was restored, then you have to point out in the history where that did, either did not happen or if it's pointing to another scenario. And if you can show me that, mm -hmm. then I, I can say, well, maybe it's an error, but I, I haven't been shown that. So you have to kind of tie in the scripture symbolism with what has happened in history. Well, no, uh, we have to have, have history to tie in with uh, scripture symbolism. See, see the symbolism of scriptures uh -huh. 
the scriptures explain scriptures. It's not like you have to look at a symbol. The symbols are in scriptures, just like when you look at the sea, that's talking about a populated people. You can, you're not left at the symbol. In other uh -huh. words, the symbol is there, but the symbol can be explained in scriptures because in the book of Revelation, it says that the sea of people, that was, I mean, the sea was a multitude, a nation, and a kindred, and the tongues of people. Those were people. Uh -huh. So it explains itself. So once you understand what the symbol is from the book or, or the Bible itself, then you take uh, the literalness of what the symbol is represented, and then you put that into history. And then when you look at history, if it corresponds, then you have to come to the conclusion that you've got the right conclusion. But if you don't have the right conclusion, you got to go and come again. So how, how do we know, like when it talks of, um, it was the, and the beast was, I saw a like unto a leopard, had the feet of a bear, the mouth of a lion. How do we know those? I know you kind of brought out about Babylon and the, with the mouth of a lion. Mm -hmm. um, what's so significant about it, having a mouth of a lion for, you know, to me, for it to say the mouth of a lion and the feet of a bear? Oh, yeah, the significance of it, like last week when we were discussing, we was talking about Sinope. Synectoche. A synectoche uh -huh. is when you take a part of something to represent a whole. Uh -huh. And I think he took a part of it. Now, so when you deal with a, a, a feet, uh -huh. uh, then usually a feet is uh, something that supports the body. Okay, now what supports the body? Well, the feet of a bear. Uh -huh. you know, what what kingdom did the bear uh, represent? Do you know? Uh <laughs> Well, uh, it represented Medio Persia. That was the second kingdom after Babylon, after the lion. Okay. Okay. So, uh, where where did Yeshua come in, 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 in when they, when when the when the, when the Babylonian Empire was here on Earth? When did Yeshua show up? He showed up in the in the in the uh, in the lions den. Okay. Uh -huh. In other words, he sent an angel that when they put Daniel in the lion's den. Uh -huh. Okay. Now, why did they put Daniel in the lion's den? Well, they put him in there because he refused uh, to pray to Darius, who was the king, uh -huh. because when they, when it, when, when the men that he had surrounded him with, they were over his government, but they were envious of Daniel because of the fact that Darius put Daniel over all of them, and and they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. So they said, "Well, let's 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 uh, see if we can pull Daniel down." Okay, and so they looked at Daniel's life. They said, "Well, if you look at Daniel's work, we can't find anything wrong with his work." They said the only thing that we can find fault with him is with the way that he believes, mm -hmm. and they'll say. All right, let's make a law. Let's try to get Darius to make a law that when you pray and make your uh, supplications, you can only do it to Darius, no other Elohim. You can't go to no other Elohim to do this. Mm -hmm. And so they came to Darius. They say, hey, Darius, we was talking. Now, it's interesting when they were talking about making this plan, now Daniel is over the whole kingdom now. Mm -hmm. they, didn't, they didn't include him. Mm -hmm. 
and they came to Darius and they said, Darius, we want to just make a law that for 30 days, the only petitions and supplication we can make is to you for 30 days. And they flattered the king, and, and Darius said, okay. And so he went along with it. So when the 30 days came, Bible said three times a day, Daniel went and prayed to his Elohim. And when he did that, they were looking at Daniel and they found fault with him because he was not uh, worshiping just Darius, but his Elohim. And he did not worship Darius at all. Mm-hmm. And so they went to Darius and they said, Darius, uh, they got people in your empire. And some of the people that you put over the empire, they're worshiping other Elohims other than you. And then it dawned on him what was really happening. Uh-huh. Okay. That they had really set him up. And so the Bible said, if you read the story that they began, he, Darius began to try to free Daniel. He said, no, he said, no, we can't do it. And you know what they threw in his face? They said, well, the laws of the Medes and the Persian do not change. Whatever they say do not change. Uh-huh. And that was the laws of down in Persia and media that if you made a law, I don't care how bad it was, it never changed. Okay, now, if you said that the bear, that in, in, in Revelation, if you said that the, the, they stood, that the feet of the bear is what the leopard was standing upon, what you are standing upon is what we're going to have to deal with in the last days, that when the government make, make laws, they're not going to change those laws for us. Mm-hmm. If they give a death de- decree, you can't come up and say, well, that's wrong and that's right. No, they said once we made that law, that's what it's going to stand. So when you got the feet of a, 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 of a bear, what you are saying, a bear going to stand its grounds. I don't mm. care what kind of animal, a bear mm. going to stand its grounds. And so once they make those laws, and even though they are unjust, they say we're going to have the laws of the Medes and the Purge. We're not going to change. You're going to have to go through this death penalty because you're not doing what we ask you to do. Well, I, I think uh, even nowadays, when government makes laws, you never hear of a law being really taken away they may make some amendments to change it mm-hmm. but i never have heard well we're dismissing and get rid of this law yeah, well, not sure yeah. you know it's always well okay we're going to amend it and change a few things it could because case in point the i think it's the 13th amendment that is supposed to have free blacks mm-hmm <laughs> It's no wording in there that says really black folk are really free. It just stated that you're not under the terms of slavery as before. But if you are to commit a crime, all the supposedly freedoms you're supposed to have goes away and you go back into bondage. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the slavery was never really done away with. It just was the illusion of it. Yeah, right. You know. You know. Yeah, well, even when they were making law, you know, they still had uh, Jim Crow law still on the books. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, matter of fact, it might be still on the books now. Yeah. And, and I think they are. Mm-hmm. They still are. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. um, if that wasn't the case, if they weren't, uh, a lot of the things that's still going on uh, amongst our people and being persecuted would not still be going on. Yeah. Okay, you know? yeah, but to get back to your question, yeah, uh, you know, uh, the he only showed part of the beast, but mm-hmm. some of the parts that he showed uh, was to indicate who the beast was and what that particular beast stood for. Mm. Now, I just wonder, 
why was that type of representation used as opposed to just saying, okay, these are the nations that are going to come about in all? Because, I mean, Yah knows all. So I'm wondering why did he have to put it in kind of like a secret code instead mm-hmm. of just outright saying, okay, these are the nations, Medio Persia, Babylon, uh, pagan Rome. Well, in, in, in some places in scriptures, he actually delineates who they were. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, okay. not all of them, but some uh-huh. of them, he delineated exactly what they are. But the rest of it, uh, you had to look at history and the comparison with it. Now, I think you answered your own question and you're talking. Uh-huh. You said, since he knows everything, uh-huh. uh, that's why he put it in symbols, because he knows everything. Uh-huh. Because if he had put it blatantly uh-huh. and they read John's writings, they could have said, we put him in jail and he's writing about the Roman Empire. But when they looked at the symbols, they thought the man was crazy, probably. All these symbols, well, what are you talking about? Well, the people he was writing to, they had read the Bible, so they knew what he was talking about. Mm. So you're you know, saying he, he kind of put it in code to kind of save some of the people who were speaking on it, who he gave it to, to tell mm-hmm. the people to save them. Because if they would have been, like you said, if, oh, you're talking about media purchase, oh, we're going to take you out. Yeah. Uh. Same, same like when Yeshua was here on earth. Mm-hmm. He, he could have he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those people that they were wrong, but he didn't, he didn't do that. What did he do? He told them the parables. Mm-hmm. And then after he got through t- telling the parable, they agreed with him. And then when he walked away, they said to themselves, he was talking about us. <laughs> yeah, that's what he do. He speaks in parables and symbols. Wow. This is thoroughly um, interesting and gaining a lot of knowledge, you know, uh, of the Mark of the Beast. Because, you know, with everything that's been going on, um, I think this is really something we need to know, to look Mm -hmm. for the signs and to understand these things Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, what's to come. Yeah, well, see, one of the main things we're looking at is that uh, uh, we're at the end of the world now. Uh, the new world order is about to come in. Uh-huh. And the book of Revelation is giving us the last events that has transpired. And all of the believers, the true believers, they have to get into the book of Revelation. Uh-huh. Now, let me say this, and it might sound uh, kind of uh, what I might say difficult, uh-huh. but even if you don't understand the book of Revelation, read it anyway. Uh-huh. Just continue to read it, and Elohim will bring knowledge to you about it because if that's the last book to get you into the kingdom you got to understand that book mm-hmm. you know so whether a preacher give it to you or a teacher or anybody read it yourself continue to read it and then he'll be sending somebody along to help you explain various things but you got to read it if that book is going to get us from earth to glory should not we be reading that book you got to read the book mm-hmm. just get into it i don't care if you don't understand it just read it anyhow and watch the Holy Spirit bring you knowledge and individuals to help you to understand the book. And that book is going to get you in the last days to the kingdom that he has set up for you. True. You know, I, I, I haven't really, I don't think I've ever uh, heard any ministers really speak on Revelation much. Um, I remember you doing it years ago when you had your tent meetings and whatnot. And I remember as a kid, uh, the Revelation, Daniel Revelation seminars mm-hmm. and whatnot. But even after that, I never recalled any other ministers speaking on the book of Revelation. 
And that's just interesting to me. Is it, I wonder, is it something that they're scared to approach or is something, you know, that uh, they just don't want to take the time to understand and know? Well, something more ironical than that is going on. Mm-hmm. Even today, I don't even hear them speaking on Revelation. No. I'm, I'm wondering why. Yeah. 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 Well, it's something, you know. Because, uh, you know, I, I've hear, I've heard some, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to specifically say the Hebrew Israelites, they're Hebrews, mm-hmm. uh, not from the uh, Hebrew Israelite camps, but just who believe in the Torah and keeping the uh, keeping the Torah and whatnot. A lot of them have been talking about it, but most of okay. these guys haven't went to theological schools. Uh, there's just something they just read and just, they're just giving the people what they have read and studied, mm-hmm. you know, just for basically, I think, for common dialogue. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's interesting. It seems like he is using people that have no uh, background in theology whatsoever to tr- uh, kind of spread some of his message. You know, that was the same thing in Yeshua's day that the disciples that they have, some of them was common fishermen. They were tax collectors and various occupation, he didn't really go to the rabbinical schools and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those schools that they had set up. Mm-hmm. He, he got the common people, and he's probably going to do that at the end of time, too. Yeah. And, and I think you kind of have to because, uh, in my opinion, when you go to the schools and I don't care what you are uh, getting a degree or education in, Generally, the people that imitate the teachers get the best grades. And so Mm -hmm. I think you come in and donated with their theologies, uh, their ideologies and whatnot. And so sometimes it's hard for some people to get through to those type of people because they're so used to thinking one way. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. Yah has to use people um, outside of that realm. Because it's just like, even with acting and film, the best people to use, especially when it comes to making movies or TV shows, people who never acted a day in their life because they're mm-hmm. like a blank canvas. But when you're mm-hmm. dealing with someone who's took an act, taken acting, they already have a preconceived notion of how they're going to come with the character, and it may not be what the director wants. And I think that's the way it is with Yaz, that sometimes you have to use some of us people who are a blank canvas to mm-hmm. spread his message. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you found one of the things is is that uh, when he calls someone, mm-hmm. especially if he hadn't been programmed yet, then, like you said, he's pretty blank. They can receive it. Yeah. But if you've already been schooled, then he got to get past all that schooling to be able to plant what he wants to plant in you. And if you got a PhD or a THD, I mean, it'd be hard to say, well, I got all these ed- all this education, and, and you mean to me I can't use it? No, I'm not going along with that. Yeah. And see, this goes through the spirit of the Reformation. See, a lot of people, what they're not understanding, too, is that it's not only the church, but it's also the school system. Mm-hmm. Because when Martin Luther was dealing with the, uh, 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 the church, you have Melanchthon. He was uh, dealing with what you call the educational system. And when you go into the educational system, 
according to the Roman uh, way of getting a degree, mm-hmm. is that you had to think like they thought. And if you got thought like they thought, they gave you a degree. Yeah. But if you didn't think like they thought, then you didn't get a degree. And so what happened is that many of our school system, just like we talk about the church, is following in the footsteps of Rome. Mm-hmm. Also, our education is doing the same thing. True. Because whenever somebody reproduces what the professor says, they get an A. Yeah. But if a person doesn't reproduce what the professor says and come with something unique, well, you got a B. Why did I get a B? Well, you don't quite understand the subject. Well, yeah. is that really true? Just like Elohim made us all independent thinkers. Mm-hmm. So when he put Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden and he told him to name the animals, he said, whatever Adam named the animal is the name thereof. Mm-hmm. And I said, wait a minute, you know. Well, Elohim was just simply saying, I gave Adam a man, and if he used a man correctly, he's going to come to the correct name of the animals. And so what we find in the educational system is they do not want us to think. They want to program us. Yeah. This is why when people go to school, they want to give them what they want to give them. But if you talk about the Bible, they don't want the Bible in the school because that doesn't fit their narrative. Mm-hmm. It would go against their narrative, and they don't want to want to see that. So our education system, along with the church, need to be changed in the sense that it needs to incorporate the independent thinking of the minds that Elohim has given. And when the Holy Spirit moves upon those minds in the academic world, then the scholarship is going to be different. And what we're going to be seeing is not only in the church, but also in our academic institution, the power of the Holy Spirit taking minds and bringing them back to the Torah in every discipline in the schools. It can be English, mathematics, science, music, everything that's going to find its principles in the word of the Torah. All of the principles are going to come from the Bible once the Holy Spirit gets into there. But see, a lot of these schools don't want to let the Holy Spirit in mm-hmm. because they don't want to give up their scholarship. They say, we want people to think like we want to think. Yeah. No, that's not what the school is for. It's to think like Elohim wants you to think if you call yourself a Christian institution. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, that most of these institutions is set up just just like a religion because if you question some things, and especially in the classroom, it, and it don't go along with what the, the instructor has, and generally the instructor is going to put you out. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the church. When you question something that happens in the church or religion, and they don't agree with it or don't like it, that's the first thing they do, put you out. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's just interesting to see how both of them is kind of the same. But... All of these things, I think, has to happen. You have to have control of the government. You have to have control of education. You have to have control of the religion in order for the new world order to come in. Because all these different avenues, I feel, is what programs people. Even mm-hmm. your entertainment. All of those things work together into the programming. If I can't mm-hmm. program you through the university, I'm going to program you through the television. If I can't program you through the television, I'm going to program you through religion. And mm-hmm. I think all these things is what Satan has put together to get you one way or the other. And the only way we can, I feel we can avoid all of this mm-hmm. is through reading and studying the Torah mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Right. Well, that's the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, we will head on to our next segment. Up next. <laughs> 
is let's talk about that. So I was reading a couple of passages, and today I kind of want to dialogue some. And I know, Dad, me and you, we've been, we were talking about it beforehand, before we got here. And I want to talk about, will y'all return again to teach his people, then come again when he uh, comes for his righteous? Or is it just one thought altogether? And let me say this, if you are listening and you have any feedback or questions about this topic, any comments, please email us because we are here to learn. Don't no one know anything over anybody. You know, that's one of the things I always hated when someone say, oh, you were so smart. Well, who's the one to gauge? Everyone has some intelligence, even a person that never went to school who is illiterate. They know something to survive on this planet. So. Uh, if you have your Bibles and we turn with I want to read two, well, four verses, two from Isaiah and two from Micah. And if you turn with me to Isaiah, the second chapter, and we're going to read verse two and three. Let me, before mm-hmm. you get in that, let me ask you, mm-hmm. did you, did you want to deal with the question you had last week or just deal with that at the end? We don't deal, we'll deal with that at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in Isaiah chapter two. Verses two and three in the reads, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Yahuwah's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of Yahuwah to the house of the Elohai of Yaakov, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem or Jerusalem. And now if you can turn with me to Micah, the fourth chapter, and we are going to read verse one and two. That was Micah, the fourth chapter, verse one and two. And it reads, but in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Yahuwah shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up into the mountain of Yahuwah and the house of Elohai of Yaakov, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for the Torah shall go forth to Zion. And the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. And basically, almost pretty much carbon copy from Isaiah. Um, one of my questions, Dad, is this possibly something that's maybe going to happen? Or is, is it just talking in parables and whatnot? Because well, I know I, we were speaking earlier mm-hmm. and you were saying that Yahusha is only supposed to come, I guess, a second time. And so, yeah. mm-hmm. and so I'm just wondering, is this a parable or is it something maybe we misconstrued some things that maybe he may come more than once? Or is this dealing with the second coming also? Okay, I can approach that in a number of ways. Uh, 
In addition to the uh, scripture you just read, I'm, I'm going to point out another uh, text here in the uh, book of Zechariah. Okay. In Zechariah, um, let me see. Let me see what I want in there. Uh, okay. Uh, that's Zechariah chapter 14. 14. Zechariah 14. Uh, okay. Uh, now, it speaks, uh, well, let me just read, read, read a little bit of it. Okay. Zechariah 14. I'm sorry, verse 1. It said, Behold, the day of Yah cometh, and they shall spoil, and they spoil shall be divided into the midst of thee, mm -hmm. where I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses raffle, and women ravish, and half of the city go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then shall Yah go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon Mount Olives, which is before Jerusalem, to the east, and the Mount of Olives shall clay, cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley. Half of the mountain shall be removed to the north and half uh, toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel, yea, he shall flee like as yet uh, ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and Yah, my Elohim, shall come at all of his saints with, with thee. Okay, now, uh, this is talking about, I guess, somewhat of the last battle that is, that is mm -hmm. to take place. Okay, but now, the well, thing the last, about that is... The last battle look, to take place on earth... Uh, well, this, yeah, this is talking about a battle that should take place that when he comes down, he's going to stand on the earth. Uh -huh. Okay. And many have equated this not with the, uh, uh, second coming, but with the third coming after we have experienced the thousand years. Okay. But the point I'm trying to emphasize is that if you look at that prophecy and then you read later on the same prophecy, it, uh, it, it says this, it says in the 16th verse, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all of the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, uh, uh, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up to of all of the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, uh, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if Egypt, and if the family of Egypt come not up, if and if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be a plague wherewith Yehoah will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, my point for reading that is, is that 
it's talking about coming up to the temple, you know, to worship, mm-hmm. and in, and especially for the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, here's the thing that we're looking at. He said, if you don't come up, you're going to be cursed, but if you come up, you're going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about it, when is this? Is it at the second coming of Yeshua, or is that at his third coming? And if it's at his, if it's at his second coming, then these people, according to what I've studied, they should be struck dead. And if it is third coming, then what is the purpose of him uh, saying they will be cursed if they don't come up to keep the Feast of tab- Tabernacles? You got the good and the wicked together. So when it, when is this? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not sure when this is. Mm-hmm. And so the prophecies that you quoted, to me, they need a much more explanation and in-depth thinking to be able to align it together because it does present a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, you said this is supposed to be a battle, the last battle. Well, I'm, I'm equating it with the last battle because he says in the first verse, it said, behold, the day of Yahuwah cometh. So usually when the day his his day is coming, uh-huh. in other words, it's gonna be a warfare on his day, and he's gonna overcome them. So is this a battle that's gonna take place when he comes the second time, the third time, or as you pointed out, uh, could he come again? But that's only speculation because I don't I don't I don't see that in the scriptures. I see what they are prophesying, but I, I didn't know how the prophets arrived at what they are arriving at. So, okay, you said that they, you don't see how they arrived at, um, that he may come again. Uh, no, 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 I'm time. saying I don't see where they arrive at the fact that before his second coming, he's going to come again. So well, let me ask this, what does it mean to come again? Does that mean he has to step foot on this earth or could he have been he come in his presence here like it was when he was leading the children of Egypt out of uh, the world, out of Egypt. Yeah. Well, I'm saying uh, Yeshua himself, he, he, he never said that he, he, he would be coming again to, to teach us all over in a, in, in a, in a temple. Matter of fact, he told the woman at the well, he says, uh, they were bragging about the temple and he says, it's going to come a day that you're going to not going to worship in this mountain or, in this sanctuary, mm-hmm. but if you're going to worship me, you're just going to worship me in spirit and in truth. It's like you take a lot of people today, they say, well, oh, I want to go to Jerusalem. And when they get over to Jerusalem, they want to walk everywhere that Yeshua went. But Yeshua said, that's not really necessary. It wasn't necessary that you follow me in spirit and in truth. Not that everybody had to go to, over to Jerusalem. Now, when he spoke that, he never said that he was going to come again and teach the people again. That was the whole thing that he was telling his disciples when he left. He said, go ye into all the world and teach. So if it's not sufficient for us to teach the people, you're saying he got to come back and teach them? Well, I think now, in my opinion, I think yes, because I feel even in this day and age, everything is tainted. I mean, even our scriptures, I don't think is 100% pure. So it's so much easier to go astray and be nowadays 
because um, it's basically our interpretation of what we're reading in all. And so I, I just I think uh, he would need to come again because I just don't think that we're on the uh, fully, totally on his right page just yet. Okay, well, I, I think when he left here, he was saying we should pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, mm-hmm. you're saying the Holy Spirit is not able to help. Now, the Holy Spirit come from his father. He said, I'm going to send you the promise of the father. So you're saying the Holy Spirit is not doing his work to teach us. So, I mean, doesn't it say, though, that the Holy Spirit in the last days will be, will be withdrawn from the earth? Well, if it was drawn, then what would you need Yeshua for there? I mean, uh, I'm just saying, is that not? Well, I mean, it's the Holy Spirit that points us to Yeshua. So I'm saying if the Holy Spirit is not enough, and even when Yeshua was here on earth, Mm -hmm. he was saying that if you don't believe the scrolls or the teachings of the scriptures which the Holy Spirit gave to men, he said, even if one rose from the dead and, and, and told you what was going on, you still wouldn't believe if you didn't believe the Torah. So the whole point of the Holy Spirit is to teach us the Torah. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, you're saying Yeshua going to have to come back and teach us. And when Yeshua left this world, he said, I'm going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help you to under. He's the spirit of truth. So but, I'm saying, if we need Yeshua to come back and tell us, we're saying the Holy Spirit is not sufficient to teach us. Well, I mean, case in point, I would say, is with the feast days. I don't think we're really celebrating at the right time. We're doing the who, best that we can. Who, who, who is we? I mean, I, I think everybody who's uh, keeping the feast. I don't think no. we're, I mean, it's like every time I hear somebody, we, they're all on different pages. But what does that mean? I, as far as I've known, ever since I've been in the world, we're on different pages. We talking about Saturday is, is a Sabbath, and the world is talking about Sunday. So, I mean, that's... Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking Holy, about, uh, yeah, I, I can see the weekly Sabbath. Yeah, but, but it sounds like the confusion is not in the world. The confusion is not that we are getting into the Word to understand when, when the feast days are. I mean, there's even people that are supposedly well, I'm studying. I'm, talk, I'm talking about if the Holy Spirit is doing His work, and he's showing you from scriptures how to keep the feast days, and you're saying everybody keeping them different. Well, well we I'm saying the, the times, the times, the time that they yeah, are keeping okay, the feast. Okay, I, I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, what has the Holy Spirit show concerning when to keep them? Are we saying that everybody is confused? But is everybody going, t- taking you to the scriptures and showing you literally how they got there? If they're not showing you that, then maybe that's where the confusion is. I mean, there's people that are, and, and it's still, you know, um, to me, it's still off. Well, let's look at it this way, then. If the Holy Spirit can't do his job, mm-hmm. then we have still come out with the proof of where Yeshua says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to teach you. Mm-hmm. Now, those prophets that spoke and Yeshua who spoke, he, I have never heard him say that he's going to come back and teach us. In other words, he said, when I come back, the mm-hmm. work is over. If you haven't accepted, you lost. And if you have, you are saved. So, so I'm saying if we don't have the proof and the Holy Spirit is not enough to teach us, even if Yeshua came back, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, how, how are we going to understand it anyway? But let me ask this, too. Is it is it possible? I mean, you know, because even though some people have wrote the Apocrypha off, is it possible there's manuscripts out there that maybe state some of this stuff? Maybe did what? That may have stated in Stated scripture right. that about that maybe Yahushua when he came did speak on it but we don't have the manuscripts yeah well that's what I said either the Holy Spirit is not doing his work 
Mm-hmm. But we have to find a proof of what you're talking about. Yeah. If because it's not there. I, I would think that um, Isaiah and Micah, you know, they were doing Yah's work and that Yah was the one who impressed them on their heart to write what they wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so, I believe that. But what I'm saying is mm-hmm. everything that they wrote doesn't mean that we have an understanding of what they wrote is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm saying because when I read it, it's still a lot of questions. I'm not saying they didn't write what they did. I believe it was true. Mm-hmm. But how do you place it within the, uh, the, the time limits of the last days? I haven't seen any scholarship on that. And you said it might be other books, but if I don't have the other books, though, how would I know? Yeah. And it's possible too. I think, you know, I think as we read in the new Testament that there may be clues there. Uh, Cause I mean, one of the clues to me too uh, was in Acts 29. And I just recently, when we were talking earlier, didn't know that that had been where that book came from. I don't know if it was taken out from the scripture. I got to do more research onto that to see why did that just pop up or was it removed? You know, mm-hmm. because Paul speaks on the same thing. And I just think, you know, if something is spoke about in more than once, I don't know. It sounds like there may be some validity to it. Yeah, it could be. But even if you're looking for the validity, it still has to be some factual evidence of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. We can't just say it could be or it should be. Yeah. Well, where's the fact? Yeah, I believe what the prophet is saying, but I'm saying, if I look at it honestly from my standpoint, yeah, I believe that he's going to come and teach, but I'm not sure if that wasn't when he was here on earth because prophecies okay. can have a lot of fulfillments, but I never see what Yeshua said and what the book of Revelation says. The only temple that they are talking about that he's going to teach is that temple that in, is, is in heaven, not not an earthly temple. Uh-huh. Huh. So it is possible that he could have already taught in all in in you know in what was referred to in Isaiah and Micah and maybe it's possible that they were speaking as the last days thinking that at the time when he was going to teach that was the last days but maybe that wasn't well that's kind of speculative thinking it's what i'm saying is basically if i yeah. take what you said in the book of Micah and Isaiah and also the one i read in, in Zechariah uh if I be honest with myself, I believe what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying, I haven't put it in a perspective to intelligently say, this is it. I okay. have to do more research. I I can't say it could or, or, yeah. or it couldn't. I, I would have to take it and put it in a context to really see what they're actually saying. You know, some people can say things, but they may be saying it from one point. And you're looking at it from another. True. This is why we have a lot of lot of lot of confusion is because we think that we understand what another person's saying. A person can say something contrary to what we believe that the world is saying, but because we are not saying it the way they want to say it, they say we wrong. Yeah. I might not be the person may not be wrong. It's just that you are not taking the time to understand where that person is coming from. So I'm saying, I don't know where the prophets are coming from. I know what they said. But I don't know how to apply it in the last days because I haven't done enough research and gathered enough data. And as you said, it might be some books out there that I need to get that has been taken away. And if I can get those books, then I, I might say, oh, now I can see it. Mm-hmm. But to, but but right now, I don't see it. Okay. All righty. 
And we want to, uh, we had a listener had a question and it was regarding, I think, some of what we had spoke on the last podcast in clean and unclean. And their question was, I think it has something to do with clean and unclean mushroom or something. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Are mushrooms a clean or unclean food? Okay. Well, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, mushrooms are more or less a plant. Uh, Elohim did not say anything clean or unclean about plants. Uh, only thing possible I can see on, on mushrooms or something is that if they're clean or unclean, is that if you get them out of the ground, you don't wash them off and you still got dirt on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have to rinse the dirt off. But when he was talking about the clean and the unclean, he was talking about the clean and unclean animals. I don't think it was the same stipulation for plants, okay? Mm -hmm. Plants had a different stipulation. In other words, uh, in Noah's day, uh, he told Noah, he said, I want you to put seven of the clean animals on the ark and two of the unclean, okay? Okay. And then when, when later on with Moses uh, in Deuteronomy and also in the book of in Deuteronomy, uh, 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 in Deuteronomy and also in uh, the book of Leviticus 11, mm -hmm. he speaks about the clean and the unclean animals, but never does he say about the clean and unclean plants. Plants did not fall in, the, in that category. I think plants, especially when it comes to eating them mm -hmm. like animals, uh, they fell in the category of what was edible and what was not edible. You remember some of the stories in the Bible? I think it was Elijah uh, when they were eating uh, some kind of a food, and it was kind of poisonous, and he told them to get a plant and put it in there, and when they put the plant in there, it made it edible. So when we talk about uh, plants, it's not so much clean and unclean, but was this edible or not? Okay, see, when Daniel, when Daniel and them came into the courts of Babylon, uh -huh. uh, when they didn't eat the king's diet, it was not the matter of uh, them uh, eating uh, the unclean meats, you know, they were saying to to the king or to the uh, one who was over the eunuchs is, is that the meat that Nebuchadnezzar is eating, you know, that's clean or unclean. But we can eat pulse and water, and pulse, if you check it out, is nothing but beans or or vegetables. Mm -hmm. And they were they they were wanting edible foods to eat. So when we deal with uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms falls in the category of whether it's edible or not. Mm -hmm. Now there are certain certain plants like marijuana, heroin, and stuff like that. It's not edible. It's not conducive for food for people to eat. You know, uh, it can cause reactions. Even though, you know, man in his laboratories has said that recreational uh, marijuana and stuff may be good. And uh, also, we have found that. Uh, they can take regular plants and make aspirins out of them. You know, they can mm -hmm. do that. But but Elohim is saying that when it comes to plants and particularly mushrooms, 
mushroom is a fungus, okay? Mm-hmm. And a fungus, uh, usually, they can cause uh, a different type of ailments, but they've discovered in the nutritional factors of a mushroom that uh, even though it's a fungus, it does not cause candidi or any kind of uh, functions, reactions in the body. Because when they studied it, they found out it has vitamin D in it. Mm-hmm. And they said, matter of fact, if you uh, uh, cook mushrooms, as a matter of fact, my wife and I, when we uh, at first got married, we had a friend and he gave us a recipe of how you take cornmeal, olive oil, and, and uh, mushroom, and you fry them, and that became one of my favorite dishes. I like fried mushrooms. Okay, but they was discovering that in mushroom, you have vitamin D, and you can get more vitamin D out of a few mushrooms than you can from the sunlight. And especially in the wintertime, when you can't get out to get the sunlight you want, mm-hmm. you can get vitamin D. And a lot of the diseases that we have, they say that if you take selenium, and they found out in mushrooms, they have selenium in there. Mm. And they also say that in the mushroom, you have copper. And all of these things, that's like a lot of times when we say that we are anemics, most people see anemics as not having enough iron in the blood. But you can be a copper uh, uh, anemic. You don't have enough copper in your in, in, in your system. Mm-hmm. And so when you eat mushrooms, you are getting a lot of the things, the colloidal minerals and, and the stuff that the human body needs. So uh, it's an edible, edible plant. It's like people say, well, mushrooms grow at night. Well, that's true. They grow at night. But the fact is that when the sunlight come up, the same mushroom that's growing at night still absorbs the sunlight that is coming down and it produces the necessary nutrients in there because the sunlight is one of the main ways that you get vitamin D and that's how it gets within in the plant. So when the mushroom gets all of this and we eat it, it goes into our system. It can help us sleep good at night. There's so many benefits that you can get from mushrooms. Now, there are certain mushrooms that may be in question, but usually the grocery stores that I go in, they sell us the edible form of mushroom. So as I pointed out, it's not so much to clean and unclean, but rather they are edible or not edible. Yeah, because I, well, I do know uh, there are some mushrooms that I guess uh, make you hallucinate and whatnot, but I don't know if they, I never really researched them to see what's the difference between them and the ones they sell in stores. But yeah, mm-hmm. and you, you said in scripture there was uh, stipulations on which plants you should and shouldn't eat? I was saying, uh, I was, well, what I was saying is, is that, yeah, they do have stipulation. We can go through the scriptures and, you know, it can be pointed out, mm-hmm. you know, that some, some, uh, some plants are poisonous plants, which should not be taken into the system. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, 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 it's not fresh on my mind that I can turn red right to it. Okay. But, but well, maybe we I, can deal with that it, next week on a, yeah, but I, I did want to read read this in uh in uh verse eight uh Daniel one eight. Uh-huh. Let me see. Yeah, let me see. You know, he was saying that Daniel had purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Mm-hmm. Now in this particular instance he's actually talking about meat. And with his wine which he drank. Now we know wine is basically coming from a plant. Mm-hmm. But on the thing about it it's intoxicated wine, okay? And the Bible speaks a number of places in the book of Proverbs, say once the wine begins to stir in a certain way, 
that we should not take it into our system. He said, wine is a marker and strong drink is raging. In other words, uh, when you drink alcohol, it can mock you. You know, uh-huh. your breath smells a certain way and it causes your cognitive factors not to be able to function as they would because that alcoholic beverage is doing something to the mentality of a person who drinks that stuff. So when you look at wine, it's a poisonous plant. Uh-huh. Okay. So, but there are other evidence in the Bible that points out that plants are edible and plants may not be edible in order to eat. Uh, well, you know, cause too, uh, just like I've heard with marijuana that, Marijuana has supposedly healing properties when you make it as a tea, not eating it with a fat or not smoking it, because those ways, my understanding, will get you high. But I've heard that drinking it as a tea will not get you high, but it has some medicinal purposes, supposedly. Yeah, you, know? you can, but uh, when you deal with plants, not not edible, uh, sometimes you find that they... Uh, plants is just like the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It has mm-hmm. good and evil. Sometimes you plant plants that are not edible. They still have medicinal properties in them. You know, just like people use animals in, in, in a way of speaking. They say, well, uh, they clean and you got the unclean, but the unclean still have uh, medicinal purposes that we can use like shock cart cartilage. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you got shock cartilage and Elohim said, don't eat anything that does not have fins and scales and the shark doesn't, why would you eat anything of the shark? Even though it may have good medicinal purposes. In it? No, mm-hmm. uh, we have to make a distinction. This is what Daniel was doing. And I think a lot of times when we find that things have good purposes in them, like coffee, caffeine, a lot of people actually take, they drink coffee, you know, even though they know caffeine may be detrimental because they say, well, it still have certain properties to help. But, yeah, what, but where, do, what, mm-hmm. where do we draw the line? Yeah, but I mean, um, is it is that just the way we think? Because, I mean, why would it's, you know, it's say about the uh, he gave us every plant yielding seed for yeah, us to is, eat. He, yeah, he, he said he gave us every, every plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but for the purpose in which he gave it, what was the purpose of the plant? It's like you take certain certain plants; they are aromatic. They are, you can smell them; they smell good. But mm-hmm. if you eat it, you, it may be detrimental. And you got some you can cook with, and then you got certain 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 plants. You know they medicinal. You know, so you have to see what the purpose of the plant is. I don't think you would just uh, eat the plant without really knowing uh, what the properties in that plant is. Yeah, but how how do we know what properties are in them besides someone taking it and it healed them of whatever they ailment they had or someone doing some science and research and testing? Yeah, well, I mean, you can have science and research, but one of the factors that you have to consider is uh, I think I can eat pork the rest of my life and nothing would happen to me. But the fact is, all he said, don't eat it. Yeah, but I mean, Can't, if is there he a said line between if, what he says and what you want to do, no. But I mean, that that's dealing with when he says don't eat pork. That's an unclean thing. But when it comes to the plant life, uh, 
what does it say regarding that? Because, well, because I, I can, und- no, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. I was saying I went to the court and uh, there was a person that was accused in the medical field of, of, of killing somebody mm-hmm. uh, with, with large overdoses of, uh, of different drugs that had come from plants. So my point being is. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, not to cut you off right quick, but saying that they have manipulated the form of the plant, just like with wine. You know, you bring that wine. Wine comes from grapes, which wine was, the form was changed. And I think when you change the form, yes, that's detrimental. But what if you keep it in the exact same form? Because most of your medicinal uh, pharmaceutical drugs come from plants, like your cocaine, your heroin. That comes from a plant, but in its stage, I believe it's okay until you start manipulating and adding other things and changing the form. That's where I think things start to get detrimental. Because you still see animals still eating a lot of these plants and whatnot. And I truly believe if an animal is able to consume it, I think the same thing for us. Now, I could be wrong. Well, you have to look at it. I look at it from two ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is is the fact that if you say it's, uh, if you eat it in its original stage and these are one of the poisonous plants at some point, uh, like ivy, poison ivy or something. You mm-hmm. you can you can call yourself eating it in its original stage, but I guess if you eat it, you're gonna have to go to a a, a, a doctor that deals with uh, different poisons in order to try to save your life because mm-hmm. it, it's poison. It's not to be taken in the system. It'll paralyze the system because it's not it's not made edible. Okay. All right. And then the second thing is that you got to look at. If you're saying that plants, uh, once once they are altered, you know they may they may give some good benefits. Well, that no, no, that, no, no, no. I, I wasn't saying that they give good benefits. I was saying once they altered is when is when it is changed and is more detrimental than when it's in its original state. Okay. Well, let's take that then. Okay. Uh, if they alter the plant, they may can alter it. Uh, to be, be more edible to you then because True. a lot of plants that are poison, just like a lot of people don't know that olives, that they are poison. You can't eat mm-hmm. olives straight off the tree. They have to get the olives, and then once they get them, there's a certain acid that is in olives that they have to have. A, they have to take a lactic acid, and that lactic acid reduces the poison that is in olives to make them edible, mm-hmm. okay? So what I'm saying is basically there are plants that are not – even in the original stage that I made to eat, just like my dad used to tell me when he was over in the Philippines. He said one of the ways the soldiers knew what to eat, they would watch the monkey. The Mm. monkey wouldn't eat anything poison, so if the monkey ate it, you ate it. But if the monkey didn't eat it, don't you touch it. Mm. But, you know, I, I just wonder, through the years, from Adam till now, have our system changed so much a lot of things we aren't able to take and process anymore? Well, that's what you a lot know. of people are saying about the appendage, the appendage that we have. Mm-hmm. It may have had a function, but we don't know what that function was. Mm. Sometimes we have it cut out of our systems. I know when I was growing up and you start having certain problems, they said, well, you know, you need to get your appendage cut off. And they cut it off 
you know, and once they cut it off, nothing that really happens, you know, it, but they really don't know it. It may have been that uh, we could have digested a whole lot of other stuff, but sin has caused the human body not to be able to deal with a, a lot of things. Wow, that's that is uh, you know, um, and we and I think too we know that when it comes to plant life, I think Satan has altered some of these things too. Yeah, well, and, I mean that's his his whole thing is working into the laboratory of the earth to get scientists and people who are working with foods to do the GMO and all of this. Yeah, he's suggesting in their minds that they try to mix plant and animals together to grow on. You know, he 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 he's trying to hibernate animals and human bodies and animals together. He's trying to take different species. And the Bible says clearly in the book of Leviticus that you should not have diverse seeds in the field. Mm. Each individual seal should be different, but Satan is trying to merge them too. This is why Yeshua says in the book of the, uh, uh, when he talks about the wheat and the tares, he's trying to get the wheat and the tares to grow together. You got to separate them. So let me ask you this then. So it would be a sin. It's sin to mix seeds. And I've seen uh, this one guy or somebody was saying, had wrote in a book about when you're planting a garden, uh, planting um, two different type of seeds next to each other or in the same thing. So mm-hmm. you're saying you shouldn't even do that. Right. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all in the Torah. Mm-hmm. Cause he was, saying. he was saying like, uh, planting a corn seed with a tomato seed so the tomato vine can wrap around the corn stalk to kind of give it support, but that's something you shouldn't even do. No, those according to uh, the divine laws of agriculture. See, uh, if our schools of agriculture and biology and the scientific schools and the studies that we have, mm-hmm. if they can incorporate the Torah within their teachings, they would have been taught that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure George Washington Carver. I'm pretty sure he knew that. Mm-hmm. You know, even though he may not have brought up the Bible, but he discovered a lot about nature. And by leaving the Torah out of a lot of things, then they're making a lot of things that should not be. Mm. A lot of stuff we need to study and learn more. Oh, mm-hmm. I tell you. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready and close out this podcast? Okay. I love it, Father. We thank you for another privilege and for each listener that you will continue to bless us as we come together each Shabbat, that we can be able to discuss means pertinent to the last days and also to our salvation, that we might be ready when you do come. We ask that you would bless those who have lost loved ones, those who are sick among us, that you will reach out to them, Lord, given the healing that they need. Give them the knowledge, O Heavenly Father, concerning nutrition and the things, Lord, that will rehabilitate our bodies such as fresh air, sunshine, and all of the different things that we need in order to sustain the life that you have given us. Thank you for my host that I would continue to bless he and his family. Bless me and my family. Bless each one who is listening, their families, and do for us that which is needed. And when we go into a new week, give us new inspiration, desires, and aspiration that we may be able to obtain and accomplish the things that you would have us to, that we may have a good week. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.
That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at thescienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And remember, we will be live streaming every Shabbat, every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But the mercy of Yahuwah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness until his children, children, mm. to such as guard his covenant and to those that remember his commandments and do them. Until next week, Shalom.